Hello, heroes. Welcome to Modifier. I'm your host, Megan Dornbrock. Hey there, heroes. This week, I am thrilled to have Monty Cook himself to discuss the latest Monty Cook Games venture, Numenera 2. Or Tumenera, which I wasn't expressly told not to call it. Numenera is where the cipher system began, which we've talked about at length on previous episodes with Bruce Cordell, Darcy Ross, and Troy Pitchelman. Darcy and Troy also have a dedicated cipher system podcast called Cypherspeak, and all of these things are going to be listed in the show notes, because if you're interested in what's going on here with Numenera and Numenera 2, you're going to love how cool the underlying system is, and Darcy and Troy are great ambassadors. Numenera 2 is an update and expansion of Monty's well-loved game Numenera that will integrate compatibly with the game you already know and love, while adding more. Exactly what that more is, I'll let Monty explain. Let's get to the show. This week, I'm joined by Monty Cook to talk about what's brewing with Numenera. So thanks for coming on. Well, thanks for having me. Yeah. I, I can't imagine that there are too many heroes unfamiliar with you and your work by now, especially since we've talked about Cypher System a couple of times on the show with Darcy and with Bruce. But uh, would you awesome. like to take a minute to introduce yourself a little bit? Maybe some games you've worked on or companies you happen to be the lead designer of, those sorts of things. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so I'm Monty Cook. Uh, I have been working as a professional in the industry. Well, next next year, it will be 30 years. Um, I, uh, uh, started at Iron Crown Enterprises and then I worked at TSR and then I worked at Wizards, which just sort of happened because Wizards bought TSR. Mm-hmm. Uh, when I was there, I worked on third edition D and D and, uh, then I started my own company called Malhavik Press. I uh, did that for a while. And then, uh, about five years ago, I started, uh, with my, with my partner, Shauna Germain, a company called Monty Cook Games, which I'm uh, the creative director, lead designer for Monty Cook Games. The, the name of the company probably tipped that off. It gives it away a little bit. That's awesome. <laughs> and today we're going to dig mostly into Numenera 2 that you teased at the MCG panel at Gen Con just a couple of weeks ago, which it feels weird to say that it's been weeks now since Gen Con. Um. And I know, I know. Uh, particularly because uh, I came back with, you know, the con crud that oh, everyone no. talks about. So I sort of lost the week after Gen Con. So oh, only just recently have I kind of come out of the haze. Oh, man. Yeah. So just just now sort of getting back into everything. I had a yeah. similarly, I didn't get sick, but I ended up having a house guest for a week. So a uh, similar, like getting yes. back into my life. <laughs> Time lost. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But Probably was, more fun than, than I had, though. Oh, yes, definitely. Not to rub it in. <laughs> <laughs> but so so I want to talk a little bit then about Numenera first, since th- to give us some groundwork, some foundation here for what uh, what is coming. And it's my understanding that Numenera is the first game that you worked on with, that was like all Monty, right? Like it's the, the mechanics are yours. The lore is yours. Everything yes, about it. Yeah, that is correct. Very. Mm-hmm. So what what does that feel like? finally getting to do that as opposed to like working on other people's games? Well, it's incredibly freeing. Um, it is, I mean, it's, it's a little scary, right? Because you don't have the, the safety net of, of some other really smart person, uh, either having done the work before you or doing the work with you. It's all you, you know, sort of succeed Mm -hmm. or fail based on your own, your own work. Um, but that's, that's I, I I really enjoy that. I think that it's just such a role playing games are just such a great expression of creativity because you get to do some world building, you get to make some stories, you get to create some characters, you get to you know tinker with mechanics. You just sort of get to cover so many bases mm-hmm. as opposed to doing something like you know writing a novel or a screenplay or something. Uh, you, you just, you exercise so many different creative muscles and, uh, it's, it's thrilling and fun. Awesome. And you've talked a little bit about it, like in, in the Numenera introduction and other places, but with this game, what kind of experience were you hoping for players to have both, both mechanically and story-wise? So what I really wanted to do was allow people to really focus on, 
uh, developing a story and, and worry less about mechanics. And I'll be honest there, when I, uh, was designing this, I really had the game master in mind because I was coming out of having worked on a lot of games that are, are, are great games and, and fun, but actually a lot of work mm-hmm. to run. Yeah. Um, you know, games like, uh, D and D and, and things like that are, uh, you know, they require a lot of the game master and a lot of preparation. And that actually isn't the way I like to run games. I like to have things be a little more freeform. Um, I like to, I like to react to the players as opposed to just constantly uh, having the players react to the stuff that I throw at them. Mm-hmm. So I wanted to capture that as a, as a role playing game. So Numenera is designed as something that's really easy to prep for. Uh, it's really easy to run when you're actually at the table. The game master doesn't roll dice. The players roll all the dice. You know, you're not consulting a lot of rules or charts or anything. You are, you're basically just constantly thinking about the story and the mechanics that are built in and put in the game master's, uh, toolbox are all very story oriented. Um, there's the, Sort of the the biggest one is is called the GM intrusion, where the GM gets to kind of intrude on the story, say, "Oh, actually, this is what happens," you know, or "Oh, the rope that you're hanging from is starting to break. What do you do?" You know, mm. but they're all sort of uh, things that just kind of ratchet up the attention and the excitement and. And they, they make things more interesting. You know, now, now when I watch movies and, and read books and stuff, I constantly see the author doing that to his or her own characters, mm-hmm. you know, and it just, it just makes things more interesting that way. And, and so that's kind of what I was going for is just something that, uh, is very story focused, is very character focused. And, uh, and so that's how the, the, the mechanics play into it and from a, from a setting point of view, I wanted to create a setting where things were very weird and and not all the answers, not all the questions were answered, and and so it's this far far future uh, setting with where basically there there's technology available, but it is so advanced that it it is basically magic, and. Uh, you know, not everybody fully understands it because it's actually the technology of the past mm-hmm. that people are sort of recovering now. And, uh, you know, I wanted people interacting with the unknown in that way. And, and not just in the unknown as in we're going to discover it, but, but sort of dealing with ultimately the unknowable and, and how do you navigate that space of, you know, not fully understanding the world around you, which, you know, is a lot like real life sometimes. <laughs> yeah, fair. Awesome. Is is any of that core experience going to change with Numenera 2, or is that all kind of still part of what we can expect? It is. Um, that core experience is, is still right there. It's at the heart of cool. it. But, you know, um, what we're doing is we're kind of building it forward. And here's what I mean by that. Um, when we launched Numenera... Uh, you know, I think that when whenever you launch a new game, the most important question that you ask is, what do characters do, right? And you have to have a, a good, straightforward answer to that, or, or you don't have enough focus. And so in Numenera, the answer to the question is, characters explore the ruins of the past to gather these interesting, weird treasures in order to build their own future. And what we're doing with Numenera 2 is we're focusing on that second part of the sentence in a way that we never did before where we're, we're still, you know, we're still giving you the ways to explore the, the ancient past, but we are giving you much, much better tools in order so that you can build your own future and, and make the world a, a better place. You, um, you know, there's, there's in the heart of Numenera is this weird, these weird leftover technology, uh, uh, aspects of, of this weird technology that it, that's actually what the word Numenera is referring to. That's what people refer to as the Numenera. And when you discover the Numenera, um, in, in Numenera, the game now, basically, you know, it kind of, it, it 
it allows you to do cooler things, right? You can, you know, do more damage or you can fly or whatever, right? This kind of traditional, uh, RPG things. But what we want to do is we want to make it so that if you want to, you can take that stuff and begin to build your own things mm. that maybe not just help you become a more powerful character, but maybe help the whole community of which you are a part of, right? Maybe you build something that defends against, you know, the weird catastrophic weather that can happen in Numenera. Maybe you build, you know, something as, as prosaic as something that provides clean water for a whole community of people. Um, and, and, and take sort of Numenera out of the, or at least your little corner of the ninth world, which is the setting of Numenera, take it out of the, sort of metaphorical dark ages and and yeah. move forward with that oh awesome so i i definitely want to talk more about this like this twofold approach that's that's happening with numenera 2 um but i'm also mm-hmm. curious did any of the games that you've worked on since the first iteration of numenera any of the cypher system like the strange or invisible sun did they affect the way you thought back on numenera or did they they teach you anything that you wanted to go back and apply to that game yeah, you know, when we put together the the cipher system rulebook in particular and uh I I was sort of forced to look at the mechanics without any setting attached to them to make it so that they were more widely applicable. I I basically had to take apart the mechanics and sort of rebuild mm. them from scratch. But but then make it look like Exactly like it did in Numenera, if that makes <laughs> <Yeah>. sense. <laughs> um, you know, I, I sort of had to realize, uh, even in my own design, how things work. And it, it didn't so much, it, 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 there were a few places where I think the mechanics could be tweaked or, the, or whatnot. But what, what I saw was, uh, for example, I wanted, uh, characters, I wanted players to have more, uh, choices. Not necessarily at the beginning. I think the the beginning, when you sit down to make a character, there's the right number of choices. Mm-hmm. But the problem is um, you get kind of locked into your character once you make those choices at the beginning. And, you know, one of the things that I've really seen is that character, you know, we, we talk about character creation as the thing that happens before the first session. But really character creation, particularly if you look at it in a narrative sense, is something that is, is continually going on, right? Mm-hmm. You're, you're, you're getting new abilities, you're, you're getting new skills, whatever it is. And, and so if you look at it through that lens, we needed the more choices going forward, uh, places where you could sort of split off. Um, and, you know, maybe at, you know, to give a, a specific example, maybe uh, rebuild the idea of what a focus is in the game system so that at tier three, maybe instead of just getting a new ability, you get a choice of two abilities or something like that. Something that allows you to customize your character more because, um, you know, it just... Uh, it it's hard when you're playing a campaign and you're living with choices that you made sometimes months ago. Um, and you know, you really kind of want to steer off, start steering things off into a different direction, but you kind of have to live with the character that you made a long time ago. Yeah, no, absolutely. So it sounds like then you mentioned at the, at the panel that it's these, these two halves of Numenera two destiny and discovery are what they're called. And it was, and mm-hmm. it sounds like it's not just Numenera one and then some more stuff. Like even, even everything from the very beginning is, is different. So with Numenera, I kind of have a little bit of a luxury in that, uh, unlike some other games, it, the character, creation system the the system that sort of governs how player characters work isn't the same system that governs how uh non-player characters work or how creatures work or, mm. or items work and so i can change and fiddle with character creation uh, a lot and it doesn't affect the rest it doesn't so in, in, you know, we have a, a couple of Numenera bestiary mm-hmm. books, for example. I can change the way you make characters in Numenera, and it doesn't change a single word of the bestiaries, for example, or the adventures, or whatever. And so, 
that gives me a lot of flexibility in making changes in Numenera 2 that don't suddenly make it so that all your previous Numenera products are now mm -hmm. worthless. Um, so when we talk about Numenera 2 being perfectly backward compatible, that's, that's why that is. Um, it, it literally isn't going to change anything. And it, and it also means that, you know, if you're not interested in Numenera 2, you love Numenera mm -hmm. the way it is. And then we come out with another bestiary or another adventure after Numenera 2, it's going to look exactly like what you already have. And so that's uh, a real advantage when it comes to this kind of thing. And so I can, I can tinker with those, uh, those player character mm -hmm. options and it doesn't mess with anything else. You know, so many times when you develop an RPG system, you know, it's like dominoes. Uh, you know, you touch one thing and suddenly everything gets uh, knocked over and, you know, is, 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 everything is affected by that. And, and Numenera is not set up that way. Okay. There were a couple of listener questions that we got that are along these, these lines. Um, and I'm a little curious too then. Uh, why a new, like, core book, a new source book? How, um, how does this work better than adding these changes as a supplement? So there are a couple of reasons for that. The first is basically kind of what I was, was just mm -hmm. talking about that we're actually gonna monkey with you know, we, you know the the original Luminar core book offered three character types: the glaive, mm -hmm. the jack, and the nano. Um, and we're gonna, you know, take a look at those character types and kind of from the ground up. And uh, you know, so it isn't just a matter of here's a couple of extra jack abilities. It's it's really kind of rebuilding each one of those things and taking a look at each focus and. Uh, I, I think that each one of them, my, my goal isn't, my goal is simply to make each one of them more enjoyable to play. Uh, and so that kind of comes down to what I'm looking at as more interesting choices and clarity. Okay. And so that's, those are kind of the two watchwords. And that does kind of require going through all of that initial core material and, and making it you know, kind of having the freedom to just kind of changing whatever it needed to be rather than just kind of coming out with like another character options book or something like that. But the other reason is, is, is sort of the other half of the equation, which is destiny. For me anyway, the ideas within destiny are not the kind of ideas that you just kind of put into a supplement. It, these are very core ideas. Um, it, it, it's Numenera can be kind of a dark game. And I think that that's fine. And that's a fine way to play it, right? There are elements to sort of a post-apocalyptic aspect to it. Uh, uh, you know, I, we're, we're all just living in the dark uh, kind of thing with the unknowable and the stuff that I was talking about earlier. But I want... For this game, for the setting, I want it to be a core part of it that player characters who want to can, can light a, a beacon in that darkness, right? That they can, they can actually become proactive enough to, to change that darkness into light. And, you know, I kind of, uh, you know, I don't know if this is sort of a, a change you know, I, I don't want to do any like psychoanalysis of myself or whatever, but I just, I just <laughs> sort of think that that's, I don't know. It sounds so pretentious to say this, but right. But it's kind of what the world needs right now, uh, mm -hmm. is, is, is a way to sort of empower people who want to make positive change and not just live with the, not just survive against the darkness. I like that. Are, are Destiny and Discovery then, um, are they, are they going to be two separate books yes. or are they kind of like two parts of a whole? Oh, okay. They're be two um, separate books. Um, and, okay. you know, they'll be available individually. You know, if, if that whole, if all that stuff that I just said, which was describing Destiny, if that doesn't sound like your cup of tea at all, uh, you can mm -hmm. just ignore Destiny and don't even have to mm -hmm. buy the book or anything. Um, likewise, if you love Numenera the way it is and you don't want to see us 
monkey with the system at all, but but this Destiny stuff sounds cool. You can buy just that. Um, but you'll, they'll also be both available in a cool slipcase and stuff. Very cool. To the backwards compatibility aspect of it, mm-hmm. um, so we understand a little bit more about how you're able to do that, but it sounds like it was probably still a challenge to do, and uh, I'm, I'm curious if you had to sacrifice anything to make that work, or or if the limitations that that imposes helped you create something that you maybe otherwise wouldn't have. Interesting. Um, well, you know, we're not done, so uh, something like that could mm-hmm. still arise. But for the most part, it was really easy because, you know, it kind of all goes back to what I was saying at the beginning about how I wanted to make the Game Master's life really easy, um, and I wanted to make things really character-focused. And if you're going to make a game that's really character-focused, where characters get a lot of detail, uh, if you're not careful, you end up making the Game Master's job harder because if characters get a lot more detail, that usually means that you know NPCs and things that are in the GM's purview also get a lot more detail. So starting at the very beginning of the game, where I separated those two things out, right, where characters... Characters are, are, have tiers and they, they have types and all these different aspects to them and NPCs are just a level, right? And so, you know, I can just have an NPC that is a level four NPC. I can have another one who's a level four NPC, but, but she is really good at fighting. So she's level five at attack. And that's, that's the entirety of her of her stats, right? Level four, mm-hmm. level five at attacks. So that's all the game master needs to know. And because of that, because that doesn't work the way that all characters do, um, I can, I can change one or the other of those aspects of the game and it doesn't affect the other one. Uh, and so what I've chosen to do because I, I felt like it needed the most work was to work on characters. And that, that just gives me the ability to, uh, not have to worry about the rest of that backward compatibility or, or, or rather, preserve all that backwards compatibility mm-hmm. uh with with the remaining books because most of our books you know are are game master focused and that's the stuff that's not really changing right bestiaries and adventures and equipment mm-hmm. guides and things like that um and so i i suppose that did impose a limitation uh but you know i that's it's not really an aspect of the game that i think needs any tinkering mm-hmm. um and really you know i i i'm 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 kind of using that word deliberately tinkering even the stuff that we are changing while we're looking at it on a fundamental ground up uh, kind of thing that ultimately the changes are more along the lines of tinkering and more along the lines of you know instead of just giving you one option we're giving you two uh, so, you know, it's not like everyone's going to have to learn a brand new game or anything even remotely like that. Uh, but yeah, I haven't, you know, <laughs> there were, there were small things. Um, mm-hmm. this, this is a weird one, but, uh, we had been thinking, you know, we could put, you know, in the Numenera core book has uh, a number of creatures in it. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, you know, we could just do all new creatures, for discovery and whatnot. But the problem is, is that eventually the Numenera core book as it exists right now is going to go out of print and anything that doesn't sort of get carried over into the new game, uh, into, into discovery, uh, Mm -hmm. will, will get lost. Uh, so I, I can't, uh, I've, I've got to keep all the, like, for example, the creatures and the NPCs and whatnot in that book, or they will get, they will get eventually lost. Um, so that's like one really super minor thing uh, because because the sort of backward compatibility and, and the legacy of the game I want to preserve, I, I've got to keep all those creatures in there, which is not a huge sacrifice. I, I think those are great creatures and maybe we'll add in a couple of new ones, but yeah, it's a minor point. Yeah, no, that's cool. And it'll be interesting to see how and if, if they change a little bit. That, that feels uh, very poetic for Numenera. Yeah. Yeah. And the creatures, I mean, the, the, the way that creatures work won't be changing. Cause again, mm-hmm. that's part of that, that game master stuff that, uh, I think works just fine. Yeah. I think this is a good time for one of the listener questions. Uh, Erica Chapel on Twitter wanted to know, how do you decide when is the right time to make a second edition of a thing? 
Uh, that is an excellent question. It's, it's weird because for various reasons, the words new edition of a game kind of mean something in kind of RPG industry parlance that, that don't really apply. Like in, in technical publishing terms, this is a new edition of Numenera. Um, but in sort of the way, you know, when you look at something like Dungeons and Dragons and the changes between second edition, third edition, fourth edition, fifth edition, it's, it's nothing like that. Um, it means, uh, the, the changes are, are far less fundamental and certainly a lot more backward compatible. So I think the answer to the question is, if you're going to do something small like that, you can do that more often and it doesn't sort of change the way things work that, that are working just fine. Because that's the, that's the danger with a new edition is that you're going to actually kind of upset the, the proverbial apple cart of, of things that were working just fine. Mm-hmm. Um, that's the last thing that you want to do. So, uh, I'm kind of in the, I'm very fortunate and because of the way the mechanics work and because of the way the game is set up, I can make some changes that don't upset that apple cart really. Yeah. Um, and, and so this seemed like a, a great time to do it. I honestly, what happened with the development of Numenera 2 was very much the ideas that were living within Destiny were very forefront of my mind. That was where I wanted to go. That was what I wanted to do. But I didn't know the way that we would express them. Um, and it occurred to me, well, this is the opportunity to do the things that we're doing with Discovery, with these minor changes that we're talking about with character creation, and and kind of just do it all at once, sort of in a, you know, rip the Band-Aid off quickly kind of thing. <laughs> and... Uh, it just seemed like the right opportunity to do it all at once rather than say, you know, do something like make destiny uh, a product that, that, you know, I, I don't, I actually don't know with my current concept of destiny. I don't even know if I could have done it without doing it as, as sort of big and fundamental as we are doing it to the system. But anyway, you know, maybe we could have put that together in some way and then two years from now do a, a new edition. But this just kind of brings it all together and makes it really uh, interesting and, and straightforward, I think. Yeah, absolutely. In a sort of a similar vein, uh, Andrew on Twitter was wondering about with a new edition, um, are you feeling any pressure to make major changes to to what you've got there and how much sameness is too much? Having worked on some other new editions of games, uh, those are exactly the kind of questions that that you have to ask. And, you know, when working on third edition D&D, you know, one of the... Well, there were, there were sort of two fundamental aspects to that design. One was we came up early on with a list of things that could not change because if they changed, then it wouldn't be D and D anymore. Mm-hmm. And then, but the, the opposite side of that coin was if you're going to change something, change it dramatically because small changes can be kind of confusing sometimes and and but but you know bigger changes are are easier to remember and so for example the lesson taking that goes forward there is like with Numenera 2 if we took a I don't know I'm just just making up examples here but if we took like a, a a high tier glaive ability and we just kind of tweaked it it sort of behooves us to like change the name of that ability and, and make it really clear. Okay. There's a change here. Mm-hmm. And, and that makes it really clear to the player. Okay. You know, I, I used to play a, a glaive in this other campaign and I use this ability. Oh, but it's called something different here. So I, I know that I need to reread it. Right. I need to remember that it works differently. And so that's the, that, that's the kind of thing where, you know, you want to, you want to make those changes that need to be made, but, but like no more. I'm, I'm, I'm more worried about things being, hmm, I, I guess I would say I'm more worried about things being too different than I am about 
things being two the same. If oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, because y- y- it's that it's that apple cart analogy that I was using. Um, mm-hmm. You know, there's a lot of people out there who really in, are enjoying Numenera, and the last thing that I want to do is make a change that that takes away some of their fun. I want Numenera 2 to only just be more fun, right? And so uh, yeah. I'm not I'm not foreseeing. You know, we, we talk a lot, you know, when we're discussing games and stuff about, you know, depowering characters because the balance is off or whatever. And that, but the person who was playing that character, you know, feels that was no fun or whatever. Uh, because you took all their fun away by, by depowering their character in the name of balance. And I'm actually not foreseeing a lot of that kind of thing. I don't think the game system needs it. And so mm-hmm. what I really just want to do is offer people more options and more choices and more interesting choices. And, you know, to get technical, I guess that probably means looking at the glaive and the jack more than say the nano. The nano is a pretty interesting character type to play. And he's, mm-hmm. uh, that character's got a lot of interesting options and, and, uh, and whatnot. But the, particularly at, you know, more advanced characters, the, the glaive and the jack, they just, they need more interesting stuff. You know, I built the jack, for example, to be sort of a hybrid between the other two types. And that just means that you kind of get a lot of the same things that mm-hmm. the other types get, but just sort of, uh, you get them later. And that, that isn't as fun as it could be, right? The, the jack probably yeah. needs their, their own identity a little bit more. And that just simply means adding in some new, fresh abilities and and making them more interesting. Ooh, that's exciting. And so it sounds like you're still kind of deep in development for Mm. Numenera 2, right? We are, definitely, yeah. Are are you playtesting yet? Uh, We have started some internal playtesting, and we're going to start some external playtesting here. I think we're looking at October for that. Oh, wow. Well, cool. And if, if you're doing internal playtesting, at least, then I get to ask my favorite question, okay. which is what is what are what are like some of the things that came up in playtesting so far that are just completely unexpected or weird? Boy, I wish I had an awesome answer to that. <laughs> uh, you know, it's an interesting experience. I will say this. The difference between playtesting a brand new game and playtesting some changes to an existing game is really different. Um, you know, we, we just finished playtesting a game that I've been working on for quite a while, Invisible Sun, mm-hmm. which is a brand new game system. You know, it, it, it isn't based on anything else. And so playtesting, obviously, in that case is really important. And that was one experience and where you just sort of have to pay attention to everything, right? Does, mm-hmm. you know, it does every aspect of this work. Is every gear turning, you know, that kind of thing. But when you're playtesting, you know, changes to an existing game, you, you know exactly what you're looking for because you already know, you know, like with something like Numenera, because the, the basis of the system isn't changing the, the mechanics of, of, you know, the die that you roll and the numbers that you're looking for on that die aren't changing. But what are changing is like maybe some of the character abilities. Then you know right away to only, you're only really kind of staring with laser like precision at the changes that you made, right? It's, it's sort of like, you know, when you're, when you're doing a scientific experiment and you're trying to limit the variables so that you can isolate where the change comes in, right? You're, you're, you're doing it that way. And, and it means, and this is the disappointing part of this answer to this interesting question. Yeah. It means that, uh, there haven't been a lot of surprises because we're really just kind of looking at, at these relatively small changes. But, but like when you're playtesting a brand new system, that's when things get go really off the rails and you're yeah. just like, I had no idea it was going to work that way. Or I had no idea that this particular spell was going to make you want to do that or what, you know, uh, mm-hmm. it, it's, it's, it's sort of kind of more chaotic and, and crazy fun to do the new system, but you also, you know, it's also a lot scarier. No, that that's a really interesting juxtaposition though with playtesting 
Numenera 2, does that laser-like focus on specific changes, does that kind of help you guys? Or do you find that you fall back on, on the old way at all of doing anything and have to catch yourself? Yeah, that's that's always the danger because with any kind of role-playing game playtesting, is that you, 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 when you get caught up in the story, right? And the, and the things that your characters are doing and, you know, what the creature that you're facing looks like, you, I don't know, you know, as experienced role players, I think we all do this, right? If you, 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 you tend to ignore the problems because you, you know, you just kind of want the, the scene to keep going. And that's a real danger with any RPG playtesting is that you, you fall back into old habits. You, you know, if something doesn't work, you, you pull out something that you used in a, in a game, you know, a completely different game system, you know, five years ago to, to just kind of keep things moving along. And that's why, for example, that's why I always worry when the game designer runs the, playtest game as the game master that you're running because it is it is our natural inclination as good game masters to kind of cover up the holes mm-hmm. and and smooth over the rough seams and whatnot to just make a good game experience but in a playtest you don't want to do that right you want to at least take note of those problems and 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 pay attention to when you make those mistakes or, or see those mistakes in the game system. And so the ideal situation is that the designer is present in a game session, but isn't running the game because then you're just kind of, you're, you're, you're more able to see those, those problems. Um, and so that's, for example, that's what we're doing. Um, there's, there's three of us working on Numenera too. Uh, myself, Bruce Cordell and Sean Reynolds, but my role in the playtests is, is to not run the games, but to kind of be the one who is noticing any of the problems. Is that hard? Yes. <laughs> I'll be really honest. It is. Yeah. It is because, you know, role-playing games are more than just mechanics, right? Mm-hmm. If it was a board game, you know, you'd just be like, oh, I don't know. Am I supposed to roll one die or two here? And you, you know, you consult the rule book. And if it's not in there, you make a note of it, right? Playtesting a board game, it's very straightforward in that way. But playtesting a role-playing game is, is, it's so, you know, you, it, you get caught up in the story, you get caught up in the characters and you're, you're, you're thinking about, just moving things along. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's, that's the game master's job is to move things along. Mm-hmm. But, you know, in a play test, you, you, you need to stop and say, Hey, you know what? The game doesn't tell me which dice I'm supposed to roll in this particular situation. Uh, yeah. and, and we need to fix that. Another one of these from Twitter, uh, Michael Clameris wanted to know, uh, he says, it sounds like a large focus of the revision is to help GMs create new content. So he'd like to hear more about how it does that. Oh, that's a good question. So one of the really interesting ways that I think Numenera 2 is going to help create new content is actually to put it more in the hands of the players. And here's what I mean by that, particularly with Destiny. What Destiny does is it is it empowers players to make bigger changes on the setting. So... You know, if the, if the town is imperiled by some, you know, invading army or something, uh, the player characters, if they want to help, will have a number of different options. And not all of them are, you know, well, we go out and face the enemy ourselves, right? We, there's all these different ways that they could help the town, you know, build up its defenses or build up its offenses or, you know, whatever. And because the, it's very systematized, right? And so we tell you, okay, you want to make a lightning gun tower? Well, then you're going to need X, Y, and Z. And players will say, okay, well, that means that we've got to go out and find some X and Y because we, we have Z, but we don't have the other two, uh, which are these, you know, Numenera components. And that means that we're going to have to go looking for them and we're going to have to find out where we might find them. And so suddenly, rather than the game master saying, 
Hey guys, there's this weird old ruin. Does anyone want to go explore? The players say, Hey GM, we're looking for a weird old ruin to explore. Do we find one? Right? And so, I mean, obviously I'm oversimplifying things, but I mean, that's sort of the, the, the basic thrust here is that the, the players are incentivized because we want to build this thing. We, we want to go on this particular adventure to do this other thing. And that, enables the game master to just kind of say, okay, and uh, well, there, you know, you have heard about this old ruin and it's got X and Y in, in it supposedly and you have to go brave these dangers or whatever. And then the player characters can come back and build the lightning gun tower that they wanted to build <laughs> and deal with the, the, the threat that they wanted to deal with. And, and it, so, in other words, the player characters become more proactive. And awesome. I... I always think that that is a very good place for a game to be because you know that Mm -hmm. if the players are being proactive, they're doing stuff they want to be doing, right? You don't have anyone sitting at the end of the table looking at their phone or whatever Mm -hmm. because they're bored with the current adventure because they're the ones who wanted to go on this adventure for the reasons that they provided. And so that's interesting and exciting and uh, you know, what it on the game master side, what it does is it makes it so that the the game master, while they can think about things in the way they always have in Numenera, with you know very character driven plots and and uh, things that affect characters on a personal level, they can also kind of ratchet things up to the next level where you're talking about a community uh, because Numenera two. If, if the players want to do this, Numenera 2 is going to really offer a lot of opportunities to, for a, for a group of PCs to kind of take a whole community under their wing and, and kind of shepherd them and not just build things for them, but, but help them, you know, maybe negotiate a trade agreement with the next town over and start up some trade routes and, you know, some of the new character types in, Destiny are going to, uh, you know, have abilities that help them do things like that and manage communities and, and, and train troops and, uh, you know, do all these kinds of things that communities need on a large scale. And the cool thing about that, I think, is that it offers this way to not, to have a campaign that doesn't just cover you know, three months of these characters' lives, but actually might stretch out over years or decades. And as you watch this community actually grow, maybe from a village into a town, into a city where you have helped, you know, uh, you'd, you've helped it flourish and succeed in all these very uh, uh, measurable ways. And you can look at it and say, wow, this, this town is, is, is now, you know, so much better off and these, you know, 15,000 people that live there are, are all so much better off because of the things that we did. We didn't just, you know, save the day and then move on to the next community. We actually made a huge difference. Oh, that's really cool. And tying into the new adventures that characters are, and players are going to be able to have. Mish on Twitter, I wanted to know, and I, I do too. Will we be look, able to look forward to any new ciphers, artifacts, and oddities to help along the way? For sure. Um Absolutely. Uh, a lot of these, you know, as we, as we kind of are looking at the potential for these kind of different sorts of adventures, you know, supplemented in with the kind of adventures that we've already always been doing, um, it's going to raise new needs and, and, uh, you know, ciphers and, and artifacts and things like that. You know, I think the best way to create things of that nature are to look for needs to fill holes to fill. Um, you know, we really need, you know, I, I wish I could come up on the spot with a good example, but you know, you, you, you say, Oh, I really need something that will help me in this situation. Oh, you know, we should create a, an artifact or a cipher or something that does just that, that you can, you can obtain in the game. And the cool thing about destiny is that with its pretty robust crafting system, um, you'll be able to, if you want to, and you've got the right parts and the right skills and everything, you'll be able to just craft that artifact as opposed to, you know, wait until you find it. Mm. 
That's really cool. So I, I believe Darcy mentioned that there is going to be a Kickstarter for mm-hmm. Numenera 2. Uh, can you tell us anything about that, uh, dates or what we can expect? It'll be uh, toward the end of this month. Uh, we don't have a we don't have a firm date yet, but we're zeroing in on it. Uh, but look look for it in in a few weeks. Uh, we are we're doing something kind of fun with this particular Kickstarter. Uh, you know, as as I'm sure you know, uh, our company is no stranger to Kickstarter. We've done this uh, <laughs> a number of times, and mm-hmm. and each time we want to kind of try to do something different, and so. With this Kickstarter, what we want to do is we want to give the entire Kickstarter campaign a narrative and create, uh, you know, much like what we've just been talking about, uh, start with a community that will sort of, will, will kind of lay the groundwork of. And then throughout the Kickstarter, we will, we will, w- with the help of the, People, you know, the backers. We will build a story about this, about this place, and and uh, you know, f- it will face threats, and through actions on the part of the backers, you know, mm-hmm. we'll hopefully deal with those threats and and build this community up. You know, maybe like I said, from a a, a village to a to a city, and you know, we'll watch it grow, and by the end of it, you know, we will actually have created some interesting you know, Numenera 2 content because we will have built this city, you know, uh, with the help of the backers. And, and so we've got some interesting things planned for events that will occur, you know, as a part of this narrative and ways for backers and, and Numenera fans in general to, to become a part of it and participate. And, uh, we're, we're excited. That's really exciting. Yeah. Oh, I'm looking forward to that too. And, and this episode (laughs) will come out at a, uh, Kickstarter window appropriate time. Uh, Excellent. <laughs> so we'll, we'll have actual dates sometime in the in the top or bottom of the show. Awesome. Is is there anything else that you want to make sure that we know about Numenera Two or about the campaign? Mostly just that uh, I think that when people hear things about a quote unquote new edition, some people get really excited and some people get very trepidatious. And to the mm-hmm. latter group, I just, I want to say that we, I am, I'm very sympathetic. The, one of the things that I always grit my teeth with a little bit is when a game does a new edition and then rather than continuing to come out with cool new stuff, they just kind of go back and, and reiterate on all of their old stuff. And so you have this adventure that you already saw, but now it's updated to the new rules and that kind of thing. And mm-hmm. that isn't in our plan at all. That, uh, that, well, there's no reason for it, first of all. But even if there was, that's, that's not, it's not interesting to me as a creator. And so one of the things that, you know, if you've been a part of, uh, an MCG Kickstarter in the past, you know that, you know, we start by funding the, the, project, right? So in this case, it'll be Numenera 2. But should we achieve our funding and have time to go past that, you know, we often end up funding with through stretch goals, a whole bunch of new and interesting projects, uh, you know, that that support the original thing. And and I think, you know, you'll see that same spirit of, of cool, new, innovative stuff with the projects that, that might come after Numenera 2. You won't, it won't be just rehashes of things you've seen before. That's really reassuring to hear. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> and and where can we find you and Numenera online? Uh, so the best place to go is montycookgames.com. You can also go to numenera.com. You'll you'll get a if if you're especially if you're new to Numenera, um, that's a great place to start because it kind of gives you some specifics and shows you a lot of really amazing art. We have some of the greatest artists, I think, and montycookgames.com will basically be the place to go. It, it will that's where we'll be talking about when the Kickstarter happens and and right now actually uh, I should mention if it if it's <laughs> if it's relatively soon right now we are having a a sale on all the Numenera stuff to mm-hmm. just kind of reaffirm that this is all stuff that will you'll still be able to use even after Numenera 2 comes out which of course the game itself won't come out until you know, middle of next year sometime. Mm-hmm. But you can buy a Numenera Bestiary 2 right now uh, at a discount and, and know that it will not 
be made invalid at any point. Awesome. Well, cool. Yeah, I think I think this will be the 21st of the month, probably. Uh, but we'll go ahead and plug that sale on Twitter so people can catch it now in, in actual time. Cool. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you so much for being on, Monty. This was awesome. Sure. Thank you. These are really good questions. Huge thanks again to Monty for joining me on the show. Thanks also to Darcy for making sure I got to that panel in the first place. Everyone at Monty Cook Games has been amazing to talk to and work with over the years, and I just want to remind you that I don't hype Kickstarters for folks I don't think are awesome. I'm not alone in that thought either, because as I record this, the Numenera 2 campaign has already funded in just a few hours. If you haven't yet, go get yours. The links, as always, are in the show notes. Heroes, you asked a lot of amazing questions this week, and you do that regularly. We covered a lot of ground, and I hope we got to everyone's in a satisfactory way. Thanks to Erica, Dissonance, Michael, Andrew, Troy, Mish, Brandoon, Clint, Richard, Chris, and Charles for being as curious as I am. And remember to follow the Twitter at Modifier Podcast if you want to ask questions on the show, too. One last thing this week, if you're listening to this show the day it drops, September 21st, it is my birthday. If you've been waiting to leave a review on iTunes or to recommend the show to a friend, today would be a pretty excellent day to do just that. Thanks, heroes. That's it for this week, heroes. You can find Modifier mostly on Twitter at Modifier Podcast. We also have a Tumblr, Facebook, and G+, with varying levels of upkeep success, all under the same Modifier Podcast name. You can email me directly with questions, comments, or show suggestions at modifierpodcast at gmail.com. Modifier is a proud member of the OneShot Podcast Network, an incredible family of RPG podcasts that include shows like OneShot, Campaign, Backstory, Adventure, Neoscum, System Mastery, and Talking Tabletop. Neoscum is a future fantasy comedy podcast where five Chicago improvisers antagonize their way through the role-playing classic Shadowrun. It follows a group of misfits and outsiders, a chromehead decker, a teenage candy junkie klepto, a kids show wizard with a petulant thirst for adventure, and the nastiest trucker this side of the Robo Mason Dixon. Join the irascible Neoscum crew as they dole out street justice to every deeb they encounter, whether they deserve it or not. Find out more about all these shows at OneShotPodcast.com. Modifier's theme music was created by my favorite Bothan, Cat Greenfield, whose myriad talents are on display at CatGreenfield.com. Join me again in two weeks for another episode of Modifier. See you then.